When I was little, my favorite question to ask was why. I annoyed my parents to death. Most conversations that happened when I was little, I would, they would speak and I would say, why? I could have literally 30-minute conversations with my parents. I don't know why they kept it going or didn't shut me up because they're really nice. But I consistently said, why? 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 And then when I became a teenager, it turned to, so? <laughs> they loved that. So what? It can be a scary question. But I continually reminded them as I was annoying them, that so what was a good thing because it meant that I was curious. I was inquisitive. I wanted to know things. And the passage this morning that we're going to look at is a so what passage. So, so what bit of difference does it make? We're going to look at the book of Romans. Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome. And for the first 11 verses, he has talked about what it looks like to live a Christian life. What does faith mean? What does believing in Jesus mean? There is a ton of theology in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And then in chapter 12, he turns a corner and he says, so what? So what does it mean? What does all of this look like in your everyday life? I think Paul wants, to get, wants us to know two things by reading this passage. I think that he wants us to know the gospel causes internal transformation and the gospel causes relational transformation. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 6 out of the message. <clears throat> so, he starts by, here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its levels of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of a deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he has done for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are like various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts of Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what and who we were meant to be. Without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be 
someone that we're not. The first verse of that chapter says in the NIV, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. First, the gospel causes an internal transformation. Because of God, of who God is, in light of his mercy, in view of his mercy, because of his faithfulness, because of his love, of his compassion, of his forgiveness, of the fact that he went to the cross for us, in light of all of these things, offer yourselves as a living sacrifices. Coming into contact with the living God doesn't just elicit a Sunday or a Wednesday response. It's not half-hearted. It's not just part of me because he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I cannot just offer my arm to God. I love how Tim Keller put it. He said, Paul is saying that God does not want a purely inward or abstract worship, but a practical and a total one. That's why he says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. A living sacrifice means we are continually willing to offer ourselves to God, to grow in his likeness, to continually renew our obedience to him. As I look back over the course of my life, there are a few times when that has been so distinct. The first time was when I was in commitment class. I went home one Wednesday night after hearing my leader talk about Christ's death on the cross and how it was a personal thing that I could accept Christ's death on the cross for me. It wasn't my parents. It wasn't my church leaders. It was mine. And I went home that night and I prayed that God would come into my life and that I would give my life in turn to him. And over the course of high school, that looked rockier than it did smoothly. It was one step forward and about 18 steps backwards, and another baby step forward, and another 25 steps backwards. But God was working this out in my life because I had experienced him in a personal and intimate way, and it needed to be mine. And then after I got to college, I joined a sorority, and there was a very distinct, clear choice for me living in this sorority. I could go one of two ways. I could choose to live how a stereotypical sorority girl would live. Or I could choose to pursue my faith. There was a choice for me to make. Because I had had this internal transformation this internal experience. Paul goes on and he adds lessons onto this. Okay, so what does it look like? How do we make this practical? Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That word for conform in there is the same word they would use for pottery, for molding clay. Clay, or Play-Doh, whatever we do now, is very formable. It's easily molded. So what is forming you? What do you conform to? Even the most independent among us conforms to something. Paul says that there's a different way to live. Because when we're living as a living sacrifice to the almighty and loving God, there's another option. 
And sometimes that other option means making a very clear and concise and distinctive choice in our lives. My first week of college, there was a fraternity party uh, the first Tuesday night of classes. And all of the upperclassmen in the house were like, freshmen, are you going to come? Why don't you all come? Meet us at the house at this time, and we'll go together. And so all of the girls in my class were going, and so I said, okay, great, let's go. And I walked into my sorority house, and coming down the stairs was, a di- was another upperclassman. And she looked at me, and she had this big smile on her face, and she was like, Carrie, are you here to go to this on-campus ministry group with us tonight? And I was like... Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes, that would probably be a better choice than the alternative of going to this fraternity party. And I can tell you that that night changed the course of my college life. First Tuesday of school, it changed it. Because that night I decided to go to that college ministry gathering and I met my Bible study leaders, who then didn't let me out of their sight for the next three and a half years. I met other Christians. I got involved in something. Sometimes it means making a very distinct choice. Paul continues on and he says, readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Renew your mind. He starts with the renewing of your mind. Living sacrificially is a continual process of renewing our mind. And it made me think, okay, well, why does he start with the mind? What's so important about the mind? Well, (laughs) the mind is the control center of our lives. The mind can go any which way we want it to. So, of course, the renewing process of learning what it means to become a continual living sacrifice living into our transformation and encounter with Jesus would start in our minds. If you stop to think about what fills you up, about what influences you, what comes into your mind on a daily basis, I will be the first person to admit that it is not always godly, it is not always good, it does not always point me to Jesus. I took a little inventory. I wake up to the radio, so whatever song or person is talking. Then I go out and I have breakfast and I watch the news, and we all know how political rhetoric is these days and news rhetoric is these days, so that comes into my mind. Then I do spend some time in scripture, and so that comes into my mind. Then I get ready for the day, and sometimes I'll have a Christian podcast on, sometimes I'll have on music, and sometimes I just have me and my thoughts, and my thoughts uh, sometimes make up an argument with someone in my own head. Then I get in the car and I go to work, whatever's on, whatever music is on in my car. Then I come in and I have meetings and I talk with my staff and we plan out our day and we plan out our week. I check my social media. I respond to text messages. I interact with my friends. I go home. I watch Netflix. Those are the things that influence me on a daily basis. What influences you What voices are speaking to you on a daily basis? And what does it look like for you to renew your mind spiritually so that we center our minds on Christ? I don't believe that this means that we can do that without the word of God. 
I believe that the word of God is transformative in and of itself. And so part of renewing our minds means reading the word of God. Verse 3, he goes on and he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves as more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has given you. We need to think of ourselves as we should think of ourselves, not more highly than we are and not more lowly than we are because <clears throat> the purpose of being with each other is to live this thing out, this faith out with each other in the church. And so because of that, we continually live as a sacrifice together. We don't do it alone. We don't walk alone. We don't talk alone. We live life together. And so it means that I need to know what my gifts are and what I bring to the table. And you need to know what gifts you bring to the table and what gifts you have because they're all going to work together as a function of the body of Christ. And if I come to the table and I say, well, guys, I've got every gift. What do you need me to do? That's not going to serve the body of Christ. Until we get a right view of ourselves, we will not have a right view of others. Central to community in Christ is understanding who we are, what we've been gifted with, and what we haven't been gifted with. Because then we rely on each other and we're able to serve each other. The rest of the verses in the chapter in the NIV say, For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. The gospel causes relational transformation. God is always, first and foremost, concerned with relationship. Our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. He is always going to be most concerned with relationship. Because faith isn't a checklist. It is not a behavior checklist. It's not about me. It's not about what I did it is about my relationship with God and how that influences and serves the body of Christ. We need each other in this. Church is not for my consumption. It's not for my enjoyment or to make me feel good. I have gifts that I bring to the table that you need and you have gifts that I need. We do this together so that we can bring the kingdom of God to earth. I didn't fully understand this until I got to college. I had experienced it somewhat when I was here because I had great Christian friends here. But I didn't go to um, Edina. And so I went back to my school and to my suburb and my area without having that many Christian friends. My friends at church and my friends at school were very, very different. So when I finally got to college and experienced Christian community for the first time, it changed everything in me. My Bible study leaders who followed me around for three and a half years, they encouraged me, they challenged me, they called me out on so much, but it wasn't because they were pointing a finger at me and saying, you aren't doing this, or you're doing this and you should stop. It was because they knew that I wanted to live out Christ's likeness. 
And they saw things that they lovingly came alongside me and said, hey, Care, have you thought about this? Or maybe allowing God into this part of your life. I experienced Christian community, and it was deep. This entire passage comes back to relationships. The entire passage comes back to relationships and how we practically walk out our faith. Because the gospel causes internal transformation and the gospel causes relational transformation. So how are you being molded? How are you being shaped? What does it look like for you to renew your mind? To not conform to the patterns of this world? Where are there opportunities in your life and invitations from God to turn from one thing and go to another that embraces him, that pursues him more? This is your so what? So what? You spent the last year studying and learning and going on retreats. So what? What does that mean for you? What will that look like as you walk this forward? Let's pray. God, thank you for being a God that pursues us. You are a God that calls us to live this faith life out with each other. And it is not always easy. But I am so grateful that you give us the body of Christ. God, I pray that you would instill instill just the deepness of your love in us. That we would have a powerful transformational experience. That we would internally be changed. And that would seep out into all of our relationships. God, thanks for being a God who speaks to us. In your name we pray. Amen.